craft beer industry? Is it the liquids, the creativity, or perhaps the physical breweries themselves? For me, it's the people, and more specifically, the stories they have to tell. I love hearing them, but sharing them with you is even better. I'm Chris Lukinenko. Welcome to the Beer Healer Interviews. Hey! So how did you settle arguments as a kid? I remember things like drawing straws, holding a rock behind your back and picking which hand it was in, and the classic chant of if, dip, dog, shit, too bad you are not it. But nothing was quite as cool as rock, scissor, paper. Well, that's what we called it as kids. Maybe it was a regional thing, or maybe it was a generational thing, but my kids have since informed me of the correct way to say it being paper, scissor, rock. On a side note, did you know that the Wall Street Journal actually published an article about this very topic a few years ago? Apparently this argument has raged on for years, with some heathens even suggesting it should be stone and not rock. How dare they? In true beer healer style, I've gone off on a tangent here, so let's straighten this thing up. There is a reason I'm talking about kiddie games in this intro. It's because my guest tonight is one of the co-founders of Paper Scissor Rock Brewery, set up in an old tourist information centre in the Grampians National Park. So, let's start talking about beer. Welcome to the Beer Hill Interviews, Paper Scissor Rock co-founder, Marty Shu. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. Um, good to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. And as I always do, mate, I'll just pour one of your beers. I've got the rice lager of yours tonight, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Pouring uh, beautiful light and clear in the glass, I've got to say. Mate, um, let's tackle the big issues up front. How many times have you been told by some joker that your brewery name has got the elements around the wrong way? Uh, every day, every day. <laughs> um, yeah, it, uh, we've, we've quit sort of worrying about it. We, we treat it as a good thing. It means everyone's, um, it means everyone's talking about us and, um, and, uh, it, it makes them more memorable if they walk away. Um, they won't forget what, what the brewery was called because they were discussing it for 10 minutes. So, yeah. <laughs> No, that's what I reckon. If people are talking about you, it's a good thing, I reckon. So, uh, yeah, bloody oath. Bloody oath. It's a, it's a ripping name, I've got to say. We'll, we might get into how you uh, came to find that name a little bit later. But I just wanted to talk about the others in the – like there are three of you involved with this thing, and even though you told me off air that you want to take all the credit for this thing, I think you should tell us about Pat and Will and, and how you guys met. Yeah, so Will and I were um, sort of knew each other as um – Locals in Halls Gap, that's where, where the brewery is now. Um, he runs a, Will runs a cafe in town, a successful cafe called Live Fast. It's pretty much the go-to place. And for a long time, uh, he was the only one that sort of had um, craft beer in, in Halls Gap. So um, every uh, three months or so, he'd um, sort of rotate the fridge a bit and um, to decide what, what sort of went in there. Um, you'd have a bit of a beer tasting night with a couple of mates and then the, the sort of the top six um, would sort of make it in for the next three months in the brewery. So, um, so that's how, all, how that sort of started out and we had discussions sort of around around sort of um, opening our own brewery, sort of brew, brew from those sort of nights. So Those uh, bur- those beer tasting nights sound like a, a bit of fun. Did uh, did they ever get a little bit loose, or was it all about business of picking the best six beers? Oh no, it was uh, definitely all about having a bit of fun. Uh, Will was hoping that uh, with the selection he'd be bringing along, that 
uh, six of them were good enough to <laughs> make it into his <laughs> fridge in the cafe. So, and, uh, I think we usually uh, did all right out of that. But yeah, that, that's going back to their way now. We, you know, we'd be uh, drinking the original sort of. Um, uh, yeah, so a lot, a lot of the styles of that almost don't exist anymore. But um, yeah, that uh, some of those beers have moved on. Some of those breweries don't exist anymore, and some of them have grown to be bigger. But mate, you're you're showing your age. Oh, I just was wondering though that um, did you guys take that whole cliched road to craft beer enlightenment? And what I'm talking about is you know maybe starting off as a mainstream drinker, seeing the light with maybe an aged and an oxidized American IPA like a Sierra Nevada or something like that. Maybe started home brewing to save some money, and then literally going down the rabbit hole. Am, am I close? Yeah, very close. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I used to home brew for years. Um, I had a sort of kick hand and um, years gone by, and that was literally just to save money, but also because I preferred different different style of beer, you know, and I preferred stouts and um, and bigger bigger beers that just sort of weren't available. Um, so you sort of had to make it yourself and cobble together what you could with, with the cash that you had. So, um yeah, that's uh, that's sort of uh, uh, my side of the story uh, with the brewing. Um, started pretty early on that way. I think Pat, um, the other brewer, he's uh, been in it a lot longer than I, and um, he's spent a fair chunk of his life here and there living in the States, so he's a bit pretty heavily influenced over the beer scene over there uh, while he was living there. And um, and uh, he's sort of been grain brewing for quite, quite some time before Will and I got to sort of... Um, touch base with him directly on, on brewery ideas. Hey! Time for a quick break. Don't worry, I won't take long. If you like this story and want to hear more, please subscribe via your favourite podcast service so that you are notified of new episodes. You can also rate the podcast on Apple and Spotify to help others find it. And if you don't follow me on the socials, check me out. I think I go a lot over there. Now, back to the story. Hey. So what did you sort of start with? Basically three blokes that could all maybe brew to, to differing elements and a couple of home brew brew recipes and and what else? <laughs> yeah, a little bit like that. Um, Pat had a he, he'd been um, sort of uh, wanting to start a brewery in, in the Moiston area for quite for a while and um, never quite sort of um, got that going for, for numerous reasons of his own. But then um, yeah, once we sort of got in touch with him and and um, if if he was keen to join us on on our um, mad escapade in Halls Gap just down the road, then uh, and he he jumped at it. So he certainly has the the one with the the beer knowledge, and um, he sort of more or less taught me what he knew. And and then uh, and then before before opening the doors, we um, we sort of uh, thrust into a few um, structured beer courses and stuff just to sort of um, solidify our, our skills somewhat in a commercial setting. So. Yeah, we were pretty confident we on top of things before we opened up. So yeah, yeah, nice, nice. And so, what was the inspiration for you guys in terms of the brewery that you wanted to open? Because you are in a, a touristy area. Were you were you modelling yourselves after after someone else, sort of, you know, a, another tourist based brewery or something? No, not necessarily. Um, it was more of a seeing an opportunity. Um, uh, Will and I were both already business owners in Hall's Gap, in, in with the cafe and. Um, I'm a photographer in town and um, I'd worked in the adventure industry for a while. So we sort of knew what, what made the town buzz. And 
Um, it got to the point where we sort of uh, realised that um, all the holiday towns everywhere, Brighton, um, Torquay and, and Anglesey and sort of uh, everyone's starting to get their own brewery and we didn't have one within an hour and a half of us in any direction. So we, it was uh, out of opportunity and also because we, we just love, love craft beer and we're pretty keen to um, be part of making it happen in our region. So, yeah. <laughs> And and what about the actual number of people? Because I I read somewhere that Hills Gap has a population of four hundred and fifty people. Is that is that right, or are you? Is it just that the, the immediate vicinity where you are, and there's like you know, it's a, there's a greater Hills Gap area where the, all the numbers are coming from to come and drink this beer. Uh, no, Hills Gap really is. It's yeah, it might be four fifty, five hundred somewhere oh, around wow. there. Are the, the people <laughs> that live there, but. Um, but being a being a holiday town, uh, when the place is full, like last weekend was. Um, Public holiday, uh, Labor Day weekend, Victoria. Yep. Um, apparently, the population is about seven and a half to eight thousand when when ah. it's full. So, so it's very much a, a holiday town. Um, yeah, last weekend was just um, just flat out, and sort of from Friday through to Monday, you you pretty flat stick. So it's uh, very much about. Uh, they, yeah, definitely rely on that uh, tourist trade. However, we, we do market ourselves directly to locals first and foremost. That's most important for us. So yeah. that's, um, we we want them to we want to, them to be there and then to enjoy it. And uh, and if we figure if they're there, then the, the others will come too. Yeah, so. yeah. And um, what about like sourcing the cash to get this whole thing started? You said you both had businesses. Um, which I'm assuming, you know, means that you, you've got money invested in those things to so then come out and say, right, <laughs> let's start a brewery on top of those. Was it a matter of um, going back to the to the wives or whatever and saying, now yeah, I think we need to put the house up to uh, start this thing. How about it? Yeah, well, <laughs> there, were, there were a few discussions like that. Um, we we had a few different models. We did, we did settle on a on a, um, a brew pub model um, with a leasehold, which certainly um, makes it a little bit easier yeah. to to get the um, the funds in order, um, as, especially as a startup. So we thought we can always expand down the track. So um, you got to start somewhere, and and it, that, that brew pub model certainly suited our 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 town and our. Um, Tourist environment well, and um, and then we sort of go follow on from there. So the so the business plan was sort of based around a, a pretty small brew pub, pretty small literage and those sorts of things. Just uh, as a matter of you know a safety measure for you guys, you're not knowing that you were what not necessarily knowing exactly what you were up against because you were so new to this, or was it sort of out of necessity knowing that you had initially 450 people in your area? Oh look, a little, no, a little bit, but. Um to be honest, initially we were hoping for a, um, a sort of 10-hex system. Um, yep. Somewhere around that mark, um, 10, 10 to 12, and then um, and hoping to brew with that. And then um, just our, our venue options were, were pretty thin on the ground in our area. Yep. We contemplated building at one stage to accommodate that. And then, um, yeah, once, um, once the visitor centre in town became uh, sort of, a potential option for us as a as a leasehold. We were pretty keen on the location, um, as I say, location, location yep. for that sort of thing. Um, but it's small. It was a bit small for everything, really. Small kitchen area, which we had to we, we had to build that ourselves, and um, the whole brewery obviously didn't exist. We had to transform spaces, and everything was a bit too small. But 
Um, so that sort of forced us down to a 500, and then it wasn't it wasn't too long before I realised that the, the 500 litre wasn't even going to fit in there. So oh, geez. Yeah, so we had to settle on a, a Bromeister 200. That's what we oh, wow. still brew with now. Yeah. Um, we squeeze uh, two, 250 litres out of it. So yep. Uh, get five meg kegs out of that. Um, we double batch a hell of a lot into 500 litre tanks. And um, in our first, very first year, we did 30,000 litres with that setup. So we're um, we're busy little growers. That's running that pretty pretty hard, isn't it? Bloody hell! Yeah, it's going it's going flat stick. And um, yeah, we sort of have uh, three. Three three hundred liter tanks and, and three six hundred. So we and we just um, we just rotate and rotate. <laughs> There's plenty of those when we start our brew day, and the the um, the tank that that we use Destin for is still full. Um, so you've got a it's a pretty mad mad dash some days to um, keg that off and and clean and caustic cycle and sterilize it all and then it's empty for about 20 minutes before the new beer goes in but uh, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do so yeah no for the all for the love of beer and is the is the brownmeister at that size at 200 liters because I've, I've got a 20 is it literally just a bigger version of the 20 um it's a little bit different um i have seen the smaller ones um our pilot setups a, a, a grandfather 60 we and so we are always getting a, a good 50 litre keg out of the, the pilot. Yep. But the, the two, and they're a little bit, um, well, essentially it's the same system, but it, it does have a crane on it to lift. Oh, um, of course, the, that's the, heavy. The grain basket out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, the, the, we, we settled on those just for the footprint. The, the brewery is, um, so like I said, the, those six tanks, um, our keg washer, um, and our, our cattle is all in a in a room that's about five by three meters. So it's um yeah, it's about seventeen square meters, I think. Hold on, five by three meters? That's like the size of a bedroom. Yeah, five by three and a half. So it's 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 oh, right. tiny. Um and like I said, we we, we yeah, put thirty thousand liters out of that little room in the first year. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have done really, really well. Um, let's uh, let's talk about the beers, and I wanted to raise this one with you. One one of my pet hates is when people ask me or or a bartender or whatever for just a beer. I feel like just a beer is a derogatory term, but I really like it that you guys have turned that negative in a to a positive with your just a beer pilsner. Because as we all know, pilsner is a bloody hard beer to make, and I I just wanted you. To Take us through the, the thinking around that one. Yeah, so we've got a um, our normal beer, as we, we coined it. It was, a, um, we, it was originally a, um, uh, uh, well, a really light drinking, um, easy drinking uh, British ale at the end of the day. Um, and we sort of, um, we called it an Aussie bitter. It was probably a bit more of an English bitter. We, that was our original recipe that we ran with, and we thought, let's just coin it. Uh, normal beer, we got... Um, we do live in that tourist environment. We don't want to scare people off. We do want that approachability factor as well for 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 everyone. So um, yeah, tap number one is just called normal beer. Um, that recipe has since changed. It's now an Australian sparkling ale recipe uh, with a bit of pride of ringwood in there. It's, it tastes very um, traditional in 
Aussie in that Pride of Ringwood flavour coming through, but uh, it's definitely a nice, crisp, clean um, Australian sparkling ale. So um, even the even the craft beer people couldn't get into it. So did the just a beer become the normal beer? Is that what you're saying? Um, so it was always called normal beer. Oh, was, so, oh, yeah, oh look at me yeah, with my shitty dollars. research. Sorry, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, it's called. Um, yeah, we just called it normal beer. Um, but yeah, same, same along those lines. Uh, yeah, we easily could have called it that. But we uh, just thought, you know, the amount of you do get people that just come in that, that they, they don't know where to start, and um, you know, they they do just want a beer, and uh, I uh, yeah, we say but you start with their normal beer. So um, yeah, we we do get a few. You know, you get a few dads that walk through the door that aren't normally into that thing, and um, they start with a few pints of that, and they just stay on that all afternoon. So happy days. Um, yeah, so uh, normal beer probably it doesn't really necessarily sum up what what the bulk of our style that we like to brew, but um, I guess it was more of a um, a decision just to to give something approachable that um, that that still sells and uh, and still keeps. Uh, people happy that aren't necessarily into IPAs and, and stouts and whatever else have you. So yeah, yeah you got to have that that variety there, and and that one's still that's still our third biggest seller overall over the calendar year. So it was definitely staying. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's one of those necessary evils. Sometimes you got to have it. Uh, these these places, especially if you have got that tourism angle too, I find. Um, but tell me about the vision that you came up with for the beers. The overall, you know, you call range if you like. Um, what did you originally want to brew, and what did it become eventually? And you know, how far is it between what you thought and what it what it did become? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, I think Pat and I are both pretty influenced over from from American styles uh, generally, um, especially early. So um, your pale ales and, and IPAs and. Um, especially sort of the the West Coast end and and red IPAs that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. um, so I tend to brew the bigger beers, the stouts and stuff as well. So uh, we just had a bunch of pilot recipes that all we we all could have ran with. We just sort of ran with the ones that we we thought would um, sell early on tap, and then later on down the track, once we did get some beer into into package that um, then we we focused a bit harder on 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 deciding um, based on previous sales which, which ones would make it into pack but um, we've we've gone through about 125 years through our different beers on uh, through our taps since we've been open so we had a little bit to choose from but um, yeah we we definitely settled on a on a good solid core range now which um is ace um and we have a, a rotating two on, on the uh, limited release which we sort of mix up when we can yeah nice so when i go on to the uh the paper scissor rock dot beer forward slash shop and i look at the cans uh that is that is the core range because I, I noticed you've got the american wheat in there which i um, I really, really enjoyed when that came through the Hopster Home box that got sent to me. Oh, you did um, get that. There you go. That's an. Uh, yeah. Oh, gee, I love that beer. It was just yeah. a ripper. Yeah, that's um, that's one of Pat's early ones that he's uh, been brewing for a long time, and um, it was a pretty pretty easy addition for us on, on the tap lineup, and and that's still our second second biggest seller behind our pale ale. So, um, you drink similar to a pale ale, a little bit crispier, and um. From the from the wheat and then um, the the hop additions we've got in there sort of set it apart a fair bit too. So 
Yeah, it's a it's a it's a nice beer, and um, yeah, we we're pretty pretty excited when um, uh, Hops to Home sort of uh, asked us if we'd want to join in on that. So yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, great great boxes boxes, and shout out to uh, Scott Hunt for uh, for that business. It's, a, it's an absolute ripper getting the you ten ten beers every month. I I really enjoy that. Hey, um. Speaking of enjoying, Absolutely. I'm enjoying the Japanese rice lager right now. Tell me about that beer and where that fits in in line with the rest of the the beers there, because you know we talked about having your your normal beer is sort of you know your necessary of your entry level one. Does the Japanese rice lager sometimes still drinkers away from that one and in, into this beer? Um, a little bit. Um, so that's one of our limited releases. It's, that's our last one. That's the most recent one that came out. Um, it's. Um, it's um, we've still got a bit of it, but once we're through that, we'll probably give that one a rest for a little bit. But it's um, it has sold really, really well. It's um, you know, um, one of our other um, brewers, um, Nick. He um, he jumped in and decided he wanted to brew a Japanese rice lager and and um, got some sriracha ace hop and and decided to uh, did all his research on it. And um, we said, yeah, if you want to brew it, go for it. And um, Turned out really well, sold well on the taps, and we thought let's just give it a go in cans and um, in time for the summer. So that's that's been going all all summer and been um, doing really well for us. But yeah, the um, it's just such a nice, um, unique um, lager style. That it's um, very summery, um, crisp, clean, but also has a bit of body to it with a flake rice and um, yeah, it does. And the hop sriracha ace and parting that. The, um, orange and herb flavor. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Is Sriracha Ace made for doing in Japanese style lagers? I don't know a lot about the hop. I've seen it in beers in the past, but you know that, as you said, you know the orange, the maybe a bit of lemon limey sort of stuff. I'm tasting there as well. Is that made for the rice lager? Um, I don't know. Um, it does uh, definitely has a, a Japanese influence on it. Um, I've seen, we've since noticed since we we launched ours that a few others um, have also done. A Japanese rice lager with sriracha, so um, we got him first. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Hey, uh, while while we're on talking about these cans, it would be remiss of me to not talk about the the can artwork. I, I just got to know, like every single one of these cans here, have got like they got some cool little names and the and the uh, the images sort of tie into the names and that sort of thing. Who is the artist? That you're working with on these things. Um, the artist is uh, her name's Elise, and she uh, was working in our um, kitchen oh, wow. at one stage. And um, yeah, we were, we were looking into doing these cans um, during COVID. We thought, let's, um, yeah. and uh, that was in full swing, and we were just sort of getting onto the, the the artwork side of things. How we'd go about that, and um, then our venue manager said, "Did you know that Elise is an amazing artist?" have a chat to her so that all uh, led on to um to her agreeing to do our artwork so yeah she's um she's a, a young very talented um illustrator and um yeah she's uh, got a real nice uh, quirky um feel to a lot of the, of the work she does and it just suited us to a tea with us and so She's, she's been doing all our designs every time we put a new beer out. She's um, keen on that. Um, another couple more in the pipeline she's working on at the moment. So, yeah, it's, um, it's uh, and they stand out. They're certainly oh, yeah. something different, but they still all, uh, they still all, um, they're still all congruent with, with being uh, the same. Yeah, they look, they look like they belong, but they've all got their own sort of uh, – 
personalities or whatever. Yeah, so how, yeah, how does right. that work yeah. then? If you if you create a new beer, uh, are you getting her to help you design the can and name the beer, or is it just the artwork once you've already named it? No, I'm, I'm providing that information. Um, I'm a, a photographer by trade and, and used to run a graphic design business with others in the past, so got a little bit of that um, knowledge behind me from past experience. So um, we find if an artist has a bit of direction over what the beer is called and some topic-related um, history on that beer style or or um, some of the beers, we've had a character or idea where we're like, you know, something like this might do, and then she, and that, that just then we just let her go and she creates something that based on the information we've provided. So yeah, yeah, it's really cool. I, I really like it. Hey, um, we we mentioned before that you the building that you currently in is an ex-tourism centre, and I guess, you know, it wasn't really designed to be a brew, brew pub. It, it looks unique. I haven't been there, but the pictures are so unique. It's all sorts of, uh, I don't know, different spaces, bit of indoor, bit of outdoor. There's lots of angles, not a big square box like, you know, you see with so many breweries. And I just was wondering, was it, and we just sort of mentioned before, it was a bit of a challenge in terms of the size of the the brew kit that you had to, had to put in, but has it actually been a bit of an advantage for you guys because it gave you lots of options to squeeze in a whole bunch of different, I suppose, experiences within the one venue? Yeah, look, um, it certainly uh, it's, it, it's had, it has its pros and cons, that building. It, it's fabulous for, um, it's like you said, it's got angles going everywhere. It was It's quite a modern building that was um, a bit of a glass house as well um, that was built to be the information centre in town. But... Um, uh, well, yeah. Once that became freed up to the commercial um, interest, um, we, we sort of jumped at it. Um, one of the pretty keen to throw our hat into the ring on and secure it if we could. Um, but yeah, the, the the main drawback being that that everything is so small in there, so um, we can only sort of seat about sixty five inside and about seventy five eighty outside. So um, it does limit us a bit when it is busy. But um, yeah, ideally we'd love twice the space of, of everything that we do. But um, the location and the design of the building was um, um, too good to pass up as somewhere to, to start off. Um, yeah, all the windows, the, the the view, the people sitting at the, at our, our tables, and the views that they've got of the mountains is um, pretty spectacular. So we get a lot of good feedback on that. So. Um, it certainly paid dividends, uh, sort of being there and prominent position right on the on the main road, easy to find and easy to walk to from from most of the accommodation in town. That's perfect. So, we don't want to promote drink driving. No, definitely not. We're actually very much the other way. We sort of encourage people to. Um, there's a good network of um, of tracks. Um, the council sort of um, has, has sort of um, built a pretty reasonable infrastructure around town that sort of gets people um, walking and and cycling and finding other means to get around town and not only not only drive. So so would you say that you're maybe a little bit more than a brew pub, that maybe you're sort of, uh, I don't know, a pseudo-social hub for the town and surrounds? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the original building was built as it was called the hub um, with the information centre there and and um, we decided that that was pretty important for us to keep that, that going. Um it is a building that has some shared spaces connected to it, but that sometimes have markets or um, or uh, music or festivals or whatever going on. And we thought we, we certainly don't want to 
detract from that. We'd rather be um, sort of um, sort of blend in and, and sort of um, be, be congruent with those events. And um, and on a, on a, a regular weekend or a weeknight, it is a great place for people to meet. So we do promote that a bit, and we um, we do a lot of live music events at the brewery, which are always free. So. Um, we definitely want to promote that we we are the sort of the social hub of town and there's always something to I love do it. there and um sometimes sometimes that costs us a bit of money to put on but we're okay Yeah, I love it. it. I love it. So tell me about the acts that you come through. Are you more like uh you know the local smaller acts that uh, you want to help promote those from that perspective or are you trying to drag in a few big names like an Ed Sheeran or someone like that? Uh it's a little bit of a mix. Um the music's certainly not my um, thing um, in terms of the decision uh-huh. making or anything around it. I'm pretty toned down for that <laughs> stuff, so uh, it all sounds all, all sounds good to me. <laughs> um, but uh, Will handles that, most of that for us. Pat's um, a bit of a muso as well, so between the two of them, um, Pat's in a few bands himself. So sometimes we get a, a few of those um, bands along. They they're always crowd favourites of the locals because uh, people know them. And but um, yeah, on the whole, um, Will sources most of their music, and we try and get uh, bigger acts for the touring and um, yeah, um, solo artists or, or duos that are sort of um, touring, and and hopefully we sort of get a um, a gig on there on their card. So we, we try and um, sort of do that where, where we can and um, sort of draw a few big names in. But then we do, we do have a few local acts that come in uh, now and then um, when it suits us as well. So is, is music still a big part of things for uh, the other boys in the the brewery? And do they do they brew to music? And, and if so, what, what gets played? Or, is, or again, are you clueless because you're tone deaf? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I play just about everything. I'm pretty happy. Um, uh, my background's all um, sort of um, 90s grunge, really. Oh, I'm so hearing I, you. I can um, happily pump that when I'm growing. Yeah, just um, anything from Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots and whatever have you. But, um, but um, no, Pat's uh, very much uh, right into his music and then plays uh, regularly. And like I said, he's in numerous bands. So if he's not brewing, he's pretty much at a, at a um, having a, a jam somewhere with his yeah, nice. With his um, fellow musicians and um, yeah, Will's um, pretty. Um, he's right into his music and and um, has a, a pretty good ear for what what suits um, us here at the brewery as well. So uh, mostly sort of generally um, more on the folk side of things, um, folk sort of into blues and um, bit of. It gets a little bit grungy occasionally, but yeah, more so folk and blues um, artists that that um, hold their own, and um, sort of even if they're solo, they sort of command the stage and, and get people into it. So yeah. yeah, very cool, very cool. So um, I often talk to brewery owners about um, you know going in with a kit and you know tanks and that sort of thing at a certain size, and and how long before they actually decided that, oh, shit, I've gone too too small and I need need a bigger this and more storage of that and all that sort of thing. It sounds like you actually reached that point um, before you even opened the doors yeah. because <laughs> of the small size of the of the venue. Am I right? Absolutely. Um, it's it's still one of our bigger headaches, but um, we're still um, looking into potentially other ways to, to, to grow in that realm. Um, 
for now, we, we've got eight tap beers and, and um, our brew schedule allows us to keep those eight taps going all the time. We, we pride ourselves on never having a, a blank tap. No one wants a blank tap when they walk into a, a brewery, so it's nice having the choice. Um, we we, um, we do um, contract um, for our um, package lineup, but um, everything that gets brewed oh, on. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. Yeah. So my, we, uh, everything that gets brewed on site goes through our taps yep. and um, everything in package now. Um, it didn't start that way. During COVID, we, we, had to, we had to get our, we had to resave all our beers. So we bought a micro canner and started canning and getting it all into, uh, getting it all into cans and, um, and sort of uh, doing delivery runs or obviously still allowed to be sort of mobile and delivering beer to people. And that we were finding that for uh, sort of six hours work of canning, we were selling it all out in one or two hours. So that uh, that wasn't going to be sustainable. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's when we started looking into some uh, potential uh, contract op- options to help us out with that. And um and uh, that certainly um, fills our needs for the time being. So yeah, yeah, nice. So, so where do you see this thing going in the future? Uh, I mean, obviously you've got a great venue there that you're happy with. It doesn't really probably suit all of your needs, and especially in terms of the amount of beer you want to pump out of there. But you're solving that with some contract brewing. Look, what what's kind of next? Where where can you go? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, a lot of it we kind of have in our head where we'd like to go and 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 um and and how that marries up with what's what's available in terms of um property and options in our immediate area um that that sort of um is quite limited um we do already have a second site that we use for the storage um for particularly for all our grain and um empty kegs and and you name it sort of we, we need a bit of room for for that stuff off-site. Um, but yeah, ideally down the track, we, we've got a, a second um, venue of some sort, whether it's purely productional or whether it is a, a secondary venue with with um, hospitality attached as well, we don't know. But yeah, look, um, it's, uh, we, we'd love to uh, expand at some point into um, some bigger brewing capabilities and... Um, we're still looking into various avenues to make that happen. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm sitting here looking at these cans and then I've seen the pictures of your venue and I know that you're in a touristy area and it almost feels like you're operating sort of two two businesses or two sides to the one business in a way because, you know, you're not playing on that touristy type of element in all the, the can art and those sorts of things, but the touristy element is a very big part of your um your your home, if you like, you know. Um, so you could almost, I don't know, you almost like split the thing in two, and you've got separate businesses under the one under the one umbrella in a way. Yeah, I think you're right, um, and it didn't sort of necessarily um, get decided like that. But um, the cans, uh, the package beer uh, certainly stands on its yeah. own. So that's um, it's extremely possible just to keep to keep um, keep that side building and. Um, yeah, and the venue is uh, absolutely 100% a, a, a um, hospitality venue. We've got a, an amazing um, kitchen crew that pump out a, um, an amazing amount of food out of a tiny little kitchen um, um, around the clock when we're open. So it's uh, they, they are a little bit different, but at the moment they're together. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we do have 20... 20- Seven, I think, stockers 
when I oh, last cool. counted that the stock our beer, so that sort of seems to be growing by one or two stockers every every fortnight or so, you know, that's still growing as well. So um our beer's slowly um getting out there. Um We'll, uh, we're not pushing that too hard yet in, uh, in terms of we just want to make sure that we can keep up with things before we um, reinvent the yeah. wheel. But, um, I kind yeah. of feel like it's a good problem to have because either side of the business could pretty, could pretty much stand on its own. From That's from the outside looking in. It's easy to say that, but it feels that way that, you know, no, whatever you um, decide to do in the future, the beautiful thing is that you've you've got uh, choices that you can make. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, we certainly won't drop the venue that we've got now. It's... Um, it's um, yeah, it's a it's a good thing, and it's um, it's becoming grand in in the town now. Everyone's used to having it there, and everyone's used to enjoying it being there. So uh, that's we certainly won't be uh, moving that anywhere. Yeah, sure. nice. And so, in terms of you know distance from the nearest big town, what what are we talking about? So because you know I'm very ordinary with geography, and I'm sure there are many others that are listening to the same. Uh, what's the nearest big town, and how how far? How long would it take people to get to you? So we're, we're um, Halls Gap is the well the heart of the Grampians they say. So the Grampians is a national park that's um, about a hundred kilometres north south and sixty kilometres east west. So it's a it's a pretty big national park. Uh, a lot of people come here for for rock climbing and bushwalking and just being in nature. So so there's a fair following. Um, and then uh, so we're about three hours west of Melbourne, so in Western Victoria. Yep. And um, the, the large town of Ballarat, which is about a hundred thousand people, that's about halfway. So we're about, um, not, you know, two hours definitely gets you anywhere in Ballarat from us. And then, um, and then nearby to us, the sort of uh, the larger towns that are closest to us are Stall, Ararat, and Horton. Oh, yep. So they're all not too far away. So well, there yeah. you go. Thank you for that geography lesson. No worries. Because uh, as I said, I've I've got no in in my head the Grampians. It's like. Up towards you, the Victorian New South Wales border. So I'm glad you set me straight because that was one thing I didn't research in my very in depth week long research project on you. No, oh, there you go. Yeah, no, so Western Victoria, we're pretty much uh, equal, even almost equal distance from the South Australian border, from the coast, from the Murray River. Oh, yeah? so- nice. Yeah. And, and as I said, the venue from the photos looks absolutely sensational. So uh, listeners, if you're uh, in Victoria at any time soon, maybe you take a detour from the Great Ocean Road, quite a large detour perhaps, and can uh, drop by the Paper Scissor Rock Brewery because it looks pretty awesome. Yeah, perfect. Um, mate, th- thanks so much for having a chat with me tonight. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for sending me down the sample beers. As I said, I've tried the American Wheat and the Rice Lager so far and uh, both outstanding beers. Um, absolutely loved them. Love the can art and I love everything that you're oh, doing. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. It's nice hearing the feedback, and um, yeah, thanks for having me. For those that want to try and find out uh, more about your beers, uh, look, I'll leave a link in the show notes to where you can um, you know, pick them up, and maybe you might even be in a, in a future hops to home box as well. Yeah, we've uh, we've touched base with them and said we'd be happy to put another beer in there. So we've got a bit of variety coming. So and um, yeah, for those that do want to check us out, just. Um, yeah, look us up at paperscissorsrock.beer. Yep. Link in the show notes. And fuck it, I'll leave a link in the show notes to Hopster Home as well. That's the kind of guy I'm just a caring, sharing, and giving. That's what I am. So, mate, uh, thank you so much for joining me tonight. It's been, it's been great and uh, all the best for the future. I'll uh, look on with keen interest. Good on you, Chris. Thanks very much. Cheers, mate. Hey! 
for listening. If you like the story and want to hear more, please subscribe via your favorite podcast service so that you are notified of new episodes. You can also rate the podcast on Apple and Spotify to help others find it. If you have an idea for a guest, shoot me a message via the socials. And speaking of them, if you aren't already, why don't you follow me on Instagram and Facebook? Help me spread this craft beer gospel. And finally, cheers to great beers.